So in recent days, back in January 1st, we did something kind of radical as a staff. Some of you know we've done a, a Biggest Loser Challenge over the last two years as kind of a New Year resolution kind of thing as a, a staff team. And in the past, lost uh, almost, uh, was it 250 pounds two years in a row. We're not really sure if those were the same pounds we lost twice or not, but we just talked about we lost a staff member uh, as part of that initiative. This year, we tried something different. And, and this year, we did a step challenge. And this is how it worked, and maybe you're familiar with what these are, Fitbits, a lot of people are buying them, wearing them around their wrist, they, they track how many steps you take during the day uh, or during the night, if you sleepwalk, and um, for instance, even uh, uh, Mr. Quapis has noted when he is playing organ on a Sunday, that is good for about 3,000 steps in terms of energy exertion. Uh, am I correct on that? He's not going to listen and answer to that one, but anyway... But it's, it's, it's kind of an interesting thing when you realize that movement during the day all adds up. And as a team, we, we added it up, and, and, then, and we went into teams of four or five, and it got pretty competitive. In fact, as, as you go on, along, you, you think, wow, I'm a pretty active person. And then you start turning in your steps, and you start comparing it to others. You realize, maybe I wasn't as active as I thought I was. Uh, for instance, a whole day of 300 steps really isn't very much. Uh, compared to, as we learned, there were people on our staff team uh, racking up thousands and thousands and thousands of steps in any given day. And it's an interesting exercise. We added them all up over two months, and it came out to this. 18 million steps taken by our staff team, equivalent to close to 9,000 miles that we walked collectively. Um, that's a lot of walking, it's a lot of steps, it's a lot of calories, but walking matters, doesn't it, versus sitting on the couch in complacency. I, I bring that all up today because we're going to spend the next few weeks talking about steps and, and recognizing that steps matter. Our God has called us not to complacency, not to just sit there, uh, not to just be dormant in our faith and, and just puff it up with head knowledge, but God has called us to be people who walk according to his ways. I see that in the gospel today. Maybe you noticed it too. You've got two men who are walking along on their way, what's known as the road to Emmaus, about seven miles outside of Jerusalem. It's that first Easter Sunday, and the word had already gotten out to these guys. They're on their way, and, and it says their hearts were really downcast. They were overwhelmed with, with grief of what had just happened, at seeing their Savior die just a few days before, and now hearing this report that his body's missing, and, and this is not going over well at first because they don't get it. And as they walk, it says that someone they didn't recognize came to walk with them. They were kept from recognizing that it's Jesus walking with them. And as we saw in the gospel, as they're talking, and he says, well, what things have been happening in Jerusalem? And and it says that they were downcast and they stopped walking as they began to explain to him what had happened. I find that significant that they stop from walking as their faces are downcast. You know, I think this happens a lot. Our walk is hindered by shame and grief and pain and struggle and circumstances where we let that become our focus in life, and, and rather than living in the new reality of what God has done. 
In fact, as they tell the story, that's when Jesus interjects and says, how foolish you are and how slow to believe. And they're beginning, as it says, with Moses and the prophets, Jesus then goes on to explain to them everything that the Scripture said concerning himself. Uh, we've said this in the past year. If only that sermon were recorded. We don't have that record of what Jesus said. But imagine what he would have shared and all the messianic prophecies and all the promises fulfilled in his coming as a Savior who would lay down his life for the world and then conquer the grave just as he said he would. Of course, they come to realize over dinner that he is who they're looking for. And as their eyes are opened, and then they recall, like, were not our hearts burning within us as he opened the scriptures to us along the road? And with that, they walked, ran as fast as they could back to Jerusalem because they couldn't help but speak about what they had seen and what they had heard. They needed to tell the others about this. So it goes with an encounter with the resurrected Savior. It leads us to want to walk and go and share. Now, somewhat related to this very directly, though some years later, is the book of Colossians, uh, written by the Apostle Paul who comes to faith with an encounter with the resurrected Jesus some days later. And, and some years later, Paul would write to a church in a town called Colossae, a very insignificant city, very small town compared to some of the larger churches and cities that were established in the early church, and yet a very significant mission site. Now, Paul never visited Colossae. But as we, we get in context, uh, one of Paul's companions in ministry and, and a fellow uh, believer and brother and, and leader in the early church was a man by the name of uh, Epaphras. And, and Epaphras had gone and planted that church from every, as far as we know, in, in Colossae and had become kind of a, a, a guy who would go and encourage that church. And Paul is writing to that church through Epaphras and telling him to go and deliver this, this and, and let them know. And he's writing from prison, so Paul isn't able to get out and about but he's writing from the chains of bondage because of his unwillingness to recant that Jesus is a resurrected Savior. Paul can't stop talking about what he's seen and what he's heard and what he's experienced. And even from prison, he's still encouraging God's people in the churches. Now this newly formed mission church in Colossae, uh, Paul writes to them and he encourages them. And, and we're going to see this over the next few weeks. Paul is worried about their walk. Very concerned about it. In fact, he uses uh, the word walk multiple times throughout the book of Colossians. In fact, we're going to see it in each of the four chapters. Uh, there are four different times where Paul mentions the importance of the walk. Today, as we look at walking worthy based in our calling in Jesus. Uh, chapter 2, he's going to be talking about the, the importance of watching your step as you walk in the midst of false teachings that are pervading the culture, and they were rampant in, Coloss in Colossae, as we're going to find out next week. He's going to talk about the fact that sometimes when we walk, if we're spending so much time looking over our shoulder at how we used to walk and dwelling on that, it can get in the way of our calling in Jesus. And the fourth week is while we walk, being aware, too, of those around us who don't know what that means and making the most of every opportunity with outsiders to share what this walk in Jesus, in joy, is all about. That's where we're going over the next few weeks. But to get into it, let's get into chapter 1. Now, as Paul writes this, and I encourage you maybe get your worship folder out. And, and I'm going to tell you, usually we like to say, get your worship Bible out. But uh, today we're using the ESV, uh, English Standard Version, and that's printed in your worship folder. It's our, our Bible, our worship Bibles are NIV. Uh, ESV brings out... Uh, some clearer 
pictures of this today, and I, I wanted to focus in on this context-wise. So Colossians, Paul writes this. Uh, we got into that introduction, but as you get into verse 3, uh, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. I'm going to stop there for a second. When's the last time when you've heard somebody talk about a church in our community or a different community? What do you often hear people say about a church? How do you talk about your church? Or how have you heard other people talk about their church? A lot of times phrases we'll use, wow, they have, they have really great music at that church. Or they have just this beautiful sanctuary at, at that church. Or, or they have the best potluck dinners anywhere at that church. Or what do people say? Notice what Paul has heard about the church in Colossae. None of that kind of stuff. What does he know? He says, we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. How cool is that? Have a church known for their faith. And not only their faith, but the love that you have for God's people, the saints of God. So being known for their faith and being known for their love of other people. What, what a beautiful, beautiful picture of something a church can be known for. And Paul goes on. He says, I, uh, why is that that you're known for this? It's because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you've heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, we mentioned that just a moment ago, our beloved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. So Epaphras has given this full report. These people, they're on fire for Jesus you know, it's often true in, in mission plants, and as God brings new people to faith, there's an excitement that starts to pervade uh, God's people in a very profound way. And we're going to hear more about uh, this bearing fruit uh, that, that Paul gives you, this, this connection to gardening, as it were. He's going to mention that more throughout this book. Now, we get in verse 9. He says, given all of that and your reputation as a people of faith, he says, and so from the day we heard... We've not ceased to pray for you. And here's where Paul gets into his concern. Uh, his concern is that they wouldn't just be people who become complacent in just head knowledge about faith, but he has more, more desire for them than all that. He says, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his, that is God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, I think what's going on here, and it's clear, clarifying, is he doesn't just say, I pray that you would become more and more filled with information, right? I often hear about that is, you know, when we, when we grow in the presence of God, it's not just growing in, a, in book knowledge and information that can be regurgitated, but rather an encounter with Jesus through his word is, is an encounter with a living person. This is a relationship, and, and, and growing in a knowledge of his will is different than just simply growing in knowledge. 
where as we commune with our Savior and we get to know Jesus, there's a, a, a transferring of his presence into our lives and his spirit having its way that we start to become aware, more and more aware of what is God's will. It's God's will for us to sit on the couch of our spirituality and our life and just be a bystander or a spectator when it comes to the things of, of his calling over us. I know at our house, we, we love watching shows like every once in a while. It has been on for a couple seasons now, but Biggest Loser is one of our favorite shows. Um, and it's a show about people getting physically fit who have become out of shape and, and overweight and, and watching their pathway to uh, getting into fitness. And, and we love watching that show. Or there's this other one, a makeover show, where um, this one guy named Chris, he works in, and helps people one-on-one uh, change their lives in, in terms of their physical fitness. One thing I've noticed, though, in watching those shows, they are very inspiring. But I've also noticed that as we spend hours and hours, week after week, watching shows like that, it doesn't affect our physical fitness at all. It's amazing. Um, laying there in bed or, or on the co- couch just watching these shows, uh, my heart rate doesn't go up. Um, I, I don't lose pounds. I, I, my my ability to sustain long endurance efforts don't, don't change at all. And you see what I'm getting at is, but I've learned a lot about it. And is it possible that we can be people that know a lot about our faith? Maybe you grew up in the church and you know all about it. You know all the answers on the confirmation test because that's what defines you. That's who you are. But is it possible to know all the right answers and yet be complacent? Complacent, where we live more of our lives for what we want and what motivates us to get out of bed in the morning and we focus more on our work and, and more on our priorities and more on our relationships uh, for our gain rather than opening our eyes to what Jesus wants and what God desires to do in your life on any given day as we get out of bed in the morning. What is the adventure that God is leading you on as you walk according to his will? can look very, very different and be a totally different perspective on why we live our lives. And the resurrection makes that all possible. It changes our reality. He goes on and he says, you know, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. What does that suggest, by the way? Is it possible to walk unworthy? It's a pretty easy question that has a pretty easy answer. What do you think? Well, yeah, <laughs> We do it all the time. And the sin of our flesh and our, our shame and our guilt where we can dwell and, and continue to, to follow and pursue things that are not of God. It is very possible to have a relationship with Jesus, know all about that, and yet walk in a very unworthy way. To live lives that are not worthy of our calling in Christ. Even as I say that, some of you are already thinking through your minds, like, yeah, I know how, exactly how that is for me. In those areas of my life that I continue to walk in unworthy ways against God's will in my life. But he says, so that as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. And he gets into it again. Bearing fruit in every, what's it say? Good work. And increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, as Paul's saying here, that the the pathway uh, to becoming people of God's will is to simply do good things, and therefore we work our way into a relationship, and we're deserving and worthy of that calling. Is that what he's getting at? 
Well, certainly that can't be if we let all Scripture speak. And we're going to actually see him clarify this in a minute. But he says bearing good fruit in, in, in good work. Uh, based in that calling and living life worthy in Christ. Um, you've maybe heard me share this before. I, I don't have a garden at my house. There's a reason for that. It just never goes well. Uh, but how many of you do grow vegetables? Any of you? Um, not yet, but I, you will be, maybe. And, and the thing is, is those of you who garden, you know this. If you go out to your garden at night and you're very quiet, what do you hear? You, you hear that sound. <laughs> right, of tomato plants grunting as they create tomatoes, right? It doesn't work that way. Of course, you don't hear anything. Um, They don't grunt in order to produce fruit. They produce fruit because they're a healthy plant with healthy soil and fertilizer and sun and water. When there's health in the environment, fruit happens. As we did this step challenge as a staff, there was a great example of this that uh, as the numbers started to be turned in, one of the participants, his name is Pat, he is our custodian and, uh, and he does a lot of setup uh, for chairs and, and different activities on our, our campus. He also works another job at night at Kroger and, and uh, he started turning in his step numbers and from week one on, he ended up blowing everybody out of the water on this, uh, where we'd turn in and have a good day, walk in 10,000, 12,000 steps. Pat, on a low day, would turn in 30,000 steps. On many days, he turned in 50,000 steps in one day. And, and it just exponentially realized Pat is walking further and putting in more steps than anybody. And, and, and he didn't know it as he's turning it in. We started congratulating him, and he says, I had no idea I was walking that much. It's like, But now that I realize it, man, I'm feeling really tired. (laughs) And, And you know, that's how it is with the fruits of God. It's not like we just say, okay, I'm going to try to serve him more. No, it's the more we spend time in his presence, the more we start to say, Lord, help me to see your will and your desire in my life. Help me to see what is of you and moments of compassion and opportunities to share your love with people around me. Open my eyes. Give me the ability by your presence and your power work through me to have your way in my life. And God starts to do that in ways not that we're conscious of, that we're thinking, okay, I got to do this because I have to. No, it just happens when we're open to it. We can resist it, very much so. We can resist it. But when God's spirit has its way in our lives, it's amazing the fruit that God God releases through that. He says this, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, this is my favorite, who has, read it with me, qualified you, no, I mean really, read it with me, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He's qualified you. You ever heard the expression, God never calls the qualified? But rather, he qualifies those he calls. If you're ever on a walk someday and you're going down a fence line and you see a turtle sitting on top of a fence post, what can you be certain of concerning that turtle? Did that turtle climb up there and walk up there on his own? No way. Someone, something actually lifted it up and and put it there. And it's true of us too. 
None of us are worthy. None of us are deserving of our calling in Christ. Rather, God, through Jesus, in his love, his grace, and his mercy, has picked us up out of sin and death and brokenness to give us a new life in him. And it's all him. And it's all his glory and all to his praise and all that God ever does in our lives. He's the one who qualifies us in that calling. I want to show you a picture here. This is another picture of the Mexicali group that went down. And I don't know how many steps it is down to Mexicali. It's across the border uh, south of, of California down there. And thankfully, they took an airplane to get there. Um, it's a lot of steps to get down there any other way. But I'll tell you, they did put on a lot of steps. And many of these folks, you know, doing this uh, just simply out of love for Jesus and, and the love for people uh, that they know have an opportunity to encourage God's, God's church. Uh, I love hearing the stories of those who went for the first time. Many of them went for multiple times. Uh, my kids, one of my kids, it's their third time down there, one of my kids' second time down there. But hearing the story from those who went for the first time, one of them was one of our adult leaders, and I want to share her picture um, but I'll get to that. This is Hector, and, and Hector had an encounter with one of our people, Karen Jones. Karen is a nurse, and she signed up to go on this trip. Hector's story she shared along the way is uh, she came to realize and, and hear about Hector. Hector's been in a wheelchair for the last two or three years after suffering a, a dog bite. And the dog bite uh, became infected and limited medical care down there. He has no form of transportation. Uh, someone gave him a wheelchair at some point just so he could get along, around. And, and though he had a, a little bit of help with his wound early on, it has not healed uh, for two years straight now as he scoots around in this wheelchair, unable to walk. And, and his muscles have atrophied and uh, a really desperate spot, in living in a house with his brother, uh, dirt floors, very little sanitation. Uh, they, uh, they wash their clothes in a 10-gallon drum, basically is what they use for a washing machine. And uh, to this, Karen got word that, that he maybe could need some, need some medical help. And they made a house visit to go meet Hector. And I'll show you the next picture here. Karen is on the, on the left, and, and she tells the story as they met Hector and he look, she looked at his wound. They got him on antibiotics early that first day of the week and uh, changed the, the dressings that had not been changed for months and, and, and cleaned up the wound. And, and then they returned a few days later, and already healing was starting to happen in ways that he had not encountered before. And while they were back at the camp talking to uh, the ministry connected with Mexicali, they learned somebody months before had donated a walker and Karen realized what Hector needed was an opportunity to stand up and be able to start to use his legs again lest they continue to atrophy. It's been two years since the guy walked. And, and so they brought him this walker, the shiny red walker, and, and here's a picture of him. Turn up the sound on this if you would. Yes, so good. Yes, uh-huh. And then the brake. Now, Hector doesn't speak English. He's not a believer in Jesus, but his brother is. And his brother has been praying for his brother Hector for years that he would come to know Jesus. I want to ask you, when God's people take a step of faith 
and to say, Lord, what, what would it look like to walk worthy and, and just to follow a desire to use gifts and talents according to his will and take steps to go all the way down to Mexico and, and have an opportunity to share the love of Jesus with Hector and fix his wound and give him a walker and enable him to take new steps that he hasn't taken for years. See the joy on his face. All in the name of Jesus is the love of Christ is shared. You know what? Hector lives across the street from you. Uh, he might even live in your house. He, he may be in your family. Hector may be the person at work that you've been c- concerned about. Could it be God is calling us as his people the more that we see him in our lives and taking steps that matter, that God would have his way? What would that look like to his glory and to his praise? May God have his way in that way as we walk according to his steps and the power of the resurrection. Christ is risen. Amen.